Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Girl Next Door and the third and final part of the crown collection that we've been doing the past couple of weeks. Make sure you go and catch up on those. It's been an important time in our history the last couple of weeks with the the not not just the queen, the queen's death, but all of the discussion that's uh, being had around the monarchy. And so we've got a lot to pack into today, being the last episode on the crown. So we're going to cover three things today. The first thing I want to talk about is the the erasing of the queen of the $5 note. And, um, and then I want to talk about the potential erasing of the monarchy altogether here in Australia by becoming a republic. And then the third thing I want to do is look at those decisions in the light of considering all of the incredible good things that the British Empire have done for the world. And you guys are going to be blown away. I'm going to give you nine things that the British Empire have done that have been um, incredibly good for the world. So that will be um, more towards um, halfway through once we cover the first two. Now, you might think, oh, these things don't really affect me. You know, $5 note doesn't affect me. The monarchy doesn't affect me. If we become a republic, it's not going to affect me. Guys, It will affect all of us. So it's really good uh, for us to be um, well-versed so that when the time comes for a referendum that we know exactly uh, what kind of decision we personally want to make because it is going to affect our quality of life for sure. All right, so let's look at firstly the first part, the $5 note. Do you know, this is so funny, as a two, it's not funny, but as a teacher, um, when, uh, when you teach year two and year three, you actually study, um, our coins and particularly our notes and you get the kids usually to draw the notes or color them in. And we do a bit of a lesson on all of the different people on the notes and what they're, um, you know, why they're on our Australian money. I completely forgot that the queen was on our $5 note for one reason, I've never got cash in my purse. Do you guys ever have cash anymore? Maybe this conversation is going to be null and void in the not very too distant future because I just use my card all the time. However, guys, in case you forgot like I did, the Queen since 1992 has uh, actually been the one whose portrait is on the $5 note. Now, last week, our treasurer, Jim Chalmers, who, by the way, is actually from um, Queensland and from an electorate right near me, but he is the treasurer. He came out saying that he is not sure what the plans might be now and not to take for granted that the queen is going to be replaced on the $5 note by the king now that he is the head of the state. Now, the reason that this is like something to be noted is because some media outlets have said that this is code for the fact that the government are getting us all used to the idea that they're going to push a republic on us whether we want it or not. And according to the polls, most of us do not want a republic, apparently. 
So that's what the media are saying. I probably tend to agree with this uh, since if the $5 note is meant to be reserved for the head of state, then it should automatically be that the queen is going to be replaced automatically by the king. Now, you're probably already aware that the monarchy is on our coins, okay? And those uh, are automatically going to be changed from a portrait of the queen to the portrait of the king because that's actually written in law in the 1965 Currency Act that our coins are to feature a portrait of the current monarchy. So they are going to change automatically to be the king, but not the $5 note because it's not written into the Currency Act. Now, the thing I find interesting is why can't they just keep the queen on the $5 note? So all of our notes, right, all of our current notes have people that are dead on them. So why not just keep the queen? Well, or at least, at least if it has been traditionally reserved for the monarchy, then why not change it to the king? Uh, but neither seem to be an option going forward. All these other suggestions are going forward, which seems to be that um, maybe they are getting us ready for the fact that they want to start pushing a republic rather than us being under the monarchy. So the suggestions have been Australian icons like Olivia Newton-John or Steve Irwin or Burt Newton. Someone even suggested Dame Edna Dame Edna Everidge is average average. I forget what what we call her. If you don't know who that is, look it up. Australian icon. Uh, some people are saying those people don't have a long enough legacy. We need to have someone with a longer legacy. The other thing I wonder about the five dollar note. I really do wonder where all the feminists have gone. Like you know, here is a woman who has done an exemplary job of you know a worldwide leadership role. Like. If you want to talk about girl bosses, and I've talked about her last week, then the queen completely falls into that category, and she's a huge part of our history. And so I just find it, you know, interesting that the feminists seem to have different, differing standards depending on, um, yeah, I don't know what it's depending on, their politics, I guess. Okay, so that's the first thing I wanted to talk about, that it's not a given that um, that the queen the queen's not staying on the $5 note. We don't know it's going to be the king. And all these other suggestions are being brought forward. I have a pretty good idea of what I think is going to happen with the $5 note, but I don't really want to get into it here. Okay, secondly, let's talk about the fact uh, that it's probably going to end up coming down to a referendum uh, to decide whether Australia want to become a republic. Um, now, I want to talk about would this be a good idea? I don't want to tell anyone, you know, how to vote in the referendum if it comes to that, but would it be a good idea to become a republic? So, um, so that means, and I did explain this back in the first episode, that means that we would leave our current system of being part of the Commonwealth under the monarchy. Okay, so the monarchy would no longer be our head of state and we would become a republic. There were a few different options around that. The king would no longer be the head of the state. We would completely separate ourselves from England, although we could retain our title Commonwealth of Australia, which is what we're called now. So go back to episode one if you want to hear a bit of an explanation on that. But basically, we'd become completely independent from Britain and the Commonwealth. Now, I can understand that Australians maybe feel like it's time. It's time for us to be independent. You know, what is it that the monarchy do for us? And Australia are uh, more than capable of fully standing on its own two feet. 
But there are a few issues that we need to consider and think about. And I want to bring up three three of those things that I think we should think about before we just go willy-nilly going, yeah, let's become independent. We shouldn't be under a monarchy. Let's become a republic. Uh, It's very interesting that we're really not being told what that would look like, but I want to give you three thoughts um, around this before you make your decision. The first one is, uh, and this is very personal, I guess, to me, um, that when we fully understand the role of the monarchy, removing that is actually just pushing us one step further toward a more secular society. Now, I really unpacked the role of the queen last week. So I won't go into too much detail, but I'll touch on it briefly. Now, I don't know if King Charles has a faith that is strong as what Queen Elizabeth's was, but whether he does or not, the head of the monarchy, which is now the king, is, remember, the head of the state, the head of the army, and the head of the church. And remember what one of their main roles is. It's to help the church and the government walk hand in hand. And this is very, um, something that I think is very uh, unusual. You know, we don't have anyone doing that here for us in Australia. We don't have someone keeping our government here in Australia, uh, without the monarchy that is, um, in uh, an accountability, I guess, to make sure that we walk hand in hand with the church, to make sure that our society is based on good moral, ethical, and Christian values. And that is one of the roles of the monarchy. That is what they stand for, what she stands for. And, I, and I've talked about this before, but you don't have to be a Christian to know that Christianity has been one of the best things for society. And it's actually the building blocks, um, has been the building blocks of our Australian society right back from the very beginning. So to take that away, to to stop that role, to take that role away, where at the moment, you know, the Queen's role was to keep the church and the state functioning together. That's why she made a lot of the decisions that she made, the, the difficult decisions that I talked about um, last week, because she was upholding Christian biblical values. Um, so her role being, or now the king's, to ensure that the state's governed by God-honoring principles and that we have morals and ethics of the church as the basis of who we are as a country. And I think that to take that away is going to be a really sad day because the further we are away from biblical values as a society, moral, ethical values as a society, the more confused, the more um, the more our society is falling apart, the more um, issues we're seeing amongst young people. And, you know, we, we all would say that our society is not in a great place right now. And the further we get away from those Christian values, the worse our society is becoming. And so I think removing the, the monarchy as our head of state, even though you might not think that uh, the Queen has done an awful lot in that regards in Australia, it's still a role that's recognized, known, you know, I mean, just look at her funeral. It, it pretty much was a full-on evangelistic service where where the Lord was mentioned just c- continuously throughout her whole uh, her whole funeral. She was an incredible example of Christian faith, and for that to be taken away, I think, is a very sad day for Australia. The second reason that um, I have concerns and that I think we should stop and think is that we've actually got a tried, tested, and true system that served us well. And we don't know what we're going to get. You know, there's there's this thing. Have you guys called the um, heard of this thing called the Democracy Index? Now, the Democracy Index 
is this measuring system. And it looks at all the countries in the world that are run as a democracy. And there's 167 countries, right? And what they do is they measure the quality of the democracy of those countries. They measure the state that the democracy is in, in those 167 countries. So they look at things like They look at the country's freedom, like freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of gathering. They look at their voting rights, property rights, um, how inclusive and and the the sense of of equality. They look at uh, the freedoms from unwanted governmental deprivations uh, of rights to life and liberty. Now, the score of every country, by the way, on this um, democracy index really fell dramatically in the last two years because of the draconian COVID measures. How interesting is that? The democracy index dropped like it's never dropped before because the government took away so many freedoms of the people. Our personal liberties were taken in so many ways. Now, if we look at that democratic index, the top 10 countries do you want to know who they are? The top 10 countries who have who have scored the highest, who are in the best state um, and have the best quality of democracy are Norway, Iceland, Sweden, New Zealand, that one was a surprise, Finland, Ireland, Canada, Denmark, Australia, guys. Australia comes in at number nine and number 10, Switzerland. Now, out of those 10 Okay, top 10 democratic countries in the world. Seven of those are the same as Australia, a constitutional monarchy. Guess who were the bottom 50 Democrat, uh, who, who scored the, the, the lowest on the democratic index in the world? The worst 50 are all republics. Guys, what does that tell us? This is what drives me absolutely crazy about our government sometimes is they want to put things before us when if you look at the fruit of other countries, then it actually shows that the constitutional monarchy has actually served us well. I don't understand why, you know, um, you can look at things like the democratic uh, index that's been around for a long, long, long time. And it clearly tells us that the countries that do not have as much freedom, that are not ran as well, are all republic. And the top countries, seven out of 10 of them, are constitutional monarchies. So, you know, it's clear that the data is in, the research is in, the evidence is in, the constitutional monarchy has served us well. And this is the issue about if we become a republic, not one person has been able to tell us what that actually means and what it looks like. And not one person has been able to tell us how we would be better off if we ditched this tried, tested and true system that we have for this unknown republic. So yet again, the government don't tell us the, um, don't tell us the facts. They just, you know, come up with these ideas. Now you probably haven't even heard of the democracy index until now. So here we are about to ditch something that served us so well for a new system that nobody has actually explained to us how it would work. My third concern, uh, about becoming a republic is who would actually replace the king as the head of the state. Now, We have been told that we would replace the head of state with an assistant minister. Now, guess who that would be, guys? 
It would be another elected politician. What would their role be? I've got no idea. All I know is do we want and trust yet another politician with their own agenda, their own personal worldview over a monarchy whose role and agenda is clear and has been clearly set out for hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's clearly been good for our society. Um, And clearly the, the democracy index also shows that it's been good. Okay, so they're my three concerns um, of what I want you guys also to think about before you go voting in the referendum. So let me go through them again. Number one is if we roll, if we remove the role of the monarchy, we're one step further towards a more secular society because of their role being to keep the government and the church walking hand in hand. Second concern is that it is a the monarchy is a system that according to the Democracy Index and all the data and the research is showing it's tried, tested, true, and has served us well. And the third reason um, that we should be thinking about is we're not really being told who would be replacing the king, but we do know it would be another politician. And I think we all know what we think about that. Okay. And I think, I think the fact is there is because you've got, you're relying on a human rather than an institution. Do you know what I mean? So it really comes down to that person's, um, you know, belief system and, uh, how they roll. Like I said, as opposed to this, um, monarchy, that's their role is set in concrete. Okay. So that leads me to the third thing. So we've talked about erasing the queen on the $5 note. We've talked about the potential of erasing the monarchy from Australia and becoming a republic. But what I want to talk about um, now is some of the good that the British empire has brought to our nation and other nations, because I just want to balance the the demonizing that uh, you guys have heard. So I heard a snippet of a speech a couple of weeks ago from Jordan Peterson, and he talked about how every country has its shame. And that is true. And Britain has definitely had its fair share of shame. Now, like I spoke about a couple of weeks ago, there is some piling on with this shame because of the mistakes that have been made and the harm that's been caused during the colonization of countries of which, please go back and listen, there are two sides to that story as well. And these are the people refusing to honor the queen's life and now death, and probably the ones that can't wait to get rid of her face off of the $5 note. Uh, But the other thing that Jordan touched on in his speech is that though they have experienced much shame, that the British colony, uh, the British empire also have some incredible things to be proud of. So I want to share nine things that you probably are not aware of um, that have been where the British empire have been you are literally reaping the benefits right now, you and I. So if we want to start demonizing the British empire, then maybe you might want to give up a couple of these things if that's the case. Okay. The first thing that the British empire did is they actually brought in more equality amongst the classes. Now we, we take that for granted, right? Like now we just see that there aren't any classes. Yeah, okay, you might have a bit, you know, people probably are still a little bit divided into lower class, middle class, and then you've got the rich, right? But nothing like it used to be, guys. Like, you know, what shows that are set back hundreds of years ago? Um, The world was ruled by a few, you know, very top elite people. Now, 
It's funny because we're not being made now to segregate around class. What we're being made to segregate around now is skin color, uh, which is really interesting and sad. So Britain used to be ruled by the few elite for the few elite, and only 3% of people were actually allowed to vote, and they were all the rich men. But once the British Empire began to grow, the middle classes became more vocal about their desire to vote in elections, and so a series of bills were passed in the late 1800s and early 1900s, allowing absolutely everyone in the country to vote, including women. And they brought that system here to Australia. And so we can't take that for granted that they brought equality amongst the classes. Otherwise, we'd still be living in, I don't know, Bridgerton days. (laughs) Okay, number two, for those that know what that is. Number two, they abolished slavery. Now, let's go into this here a little bit because you'll hear some stuff on social media that's not, not completely true about this. Now, yes, the British Empire did used to be involved in the slave industry for much of its history until it came to its moral senses, right? Every country was involved in the slave trade, okay? But it was the British who came to their senses and abolished the practice in 1807. Now, not only did they make it illegal by abolishing it, they actively worked and fought against it and they lost many lives doing so. So what they did is they sent in a set of ships to patrol the routes of the slave ships. Now, many English people, many many British, British people on those ships lost their lives trying to free the slaves and stop the slave trade. They liberated around, get this, 150,000 enslaved Africans. Okay, so they didn't just illegalize slavery. They put their money where their mouth was and they physically fought, opposed, and opposed it. Number three, This is one you probably don't realize. They united people through sport. We take this for granted. We just had last weekend the NRL grand final. The weekend before we had the AFL grand final. You know, in in January, we have our big tennis open. People gather in our nation all the time. Guys, you can thank the British Empire for that. Six out of um, six of the 10 world's most popular sports were invented by the British. Soccer, cricket, Tennis, hockey, golf, table tennis, obviously not AFL, (laughs) and even rugby. And this, this love and coming together around sport actually spread through the Commonwealth countries, including Australia. We love our sport. There are few things that unite us with, you know, within our country, but also with other countries and with different cultures like sport does. The British Empire brought that to us, number four. The British gave the world a language. Guys, most of the world speaks English. So it's yet another thing that unites us and enables us to communicate. I mean, English is the language of the internet. How would you like it if you got on and only certain things, you know, if if every country everywhere spoke a different language, um, we wouldn't be able to access everything that we do on the internet. Have you ever been to a country where you can't speak their language? A few years ago, Cameron and I went to Europe and the one place where they refused to speak English was in France, except unless you would say to them in uh, French, do you speak English? 
I can't even remember, but it was the one, it was the one line that I knew how to say. And then if you made a little effort, some of them sometimes would talk English to you. It was really hard to get around. It was really hard to order. It was really hard to do anything in France because we couldn't speak the language. The British gave us that. Um, so how much harder would it be without a universal language? Okay. Number five, they connected the world through technology. Another one that we take for granted. Do you know guys that before the British, there was no instant communication or rapid transport? I mean, you couldn't, you know, there was no planes, no trains, no, um, the, the only way that you could get a letter to someone in another country was to wait months and months and months for it to be sent on a ship. And before that, it was even impossible. But you guys might not realize the train and the telegraph were both invented by the British. And both of these things sped up travel and communication. So there you go. They gifted us um, technology. Number six, for those that think that uh, the British, you know, for, for those that have heard accusations of the British being so violently evil, the British outlawed widow burning in India. So this is an incredible thing that they did. There was actually an ancient Hindu practice where when a man died, um, and I think they used to, they used to, um, like burn him. I'm not quite sure what their, what their cultural, uh, practice was, but it was expected that the widowed wife was also meant to burn herself on the funeral pyre. So there were at least documented 8,000 women that died this way in India from 1823 to 1828. Like what a barbaric thing. And it was a British lord who outlawed this practice in 1829. So there you go. I bet you didn't know that. Number seven, it was the British who stood up to the Nazis in World War II. Now, you've got to remember, for those that know their history, the Nazis had conquered mainland Europe in less than two months. The power that they had and the, the way that their power was sweeping the world was really petrifying. And it was Britain who stood alone in Europe as the sole opposition to the Nazi regime. And of course, this was under the leadership of um, Winston Churchill, total hero. There's a couple of really good movies on him where he refused to be bullied and they fought Hitler instead of appeasing him. So that's another incredible thing that they did. The war most likely would have not have come to an end when it did. Number eight, they brought democracy to the world. I touched on this a little bit before with the democracy index, but the actual concept of democracy, guys, was brought to us by both Britain and France. And I know that um, America acknowledged this as well, which, by the way, you might not know this, but the Statue of Liberty was actually gifted to America by France because of their value around liberty and freedom, which, of course, is what? A democratic idea. And so this was mostly peddled by Britain and France. Now, we forget to consider, even though democracy might be a flawed form of government, we 
forget to consider all the alternatives and their fruit. I mean, would you like to go and live in a communist country or a socialist country? Democracy might be flawed, but it is still the best form of government that we have. Now, democracy in the modern world, like I said, was developed by Britain and France. The idea of small government and freedom to the people. Now, their idea of government has been taken on um, and spread to countries all over the world, including, of course, our own. Now, if you don't think that's very important, why don't we think of it like this? What if instead they hadn't stood up to the Nazis and Hitler spread his form of government all over the world? I think you could agree with me that the world would be a far worse place than it is today. And then number nine, which I did touch on a bit before, is of course they brought brought with them um, Christianity. And uh, I know that for maybe some people who don't uh, share my Christian worldview, they might not think that that's a good thing. I know a lot of people think that religion um, does more harm than good. I actually want to address that. Um, I heard an incredible Um, speech a couple of weeks ago about this whole issue. And so I do want to touch on this. Uh, And I I have spoken before about how we should all get to choose uh, whether we take on Christianity or religion in our lives. But um, within that choice, we should know all of the the good side as well to what Christianity has done for society. And like I said, many times over, our very foundations here in Australia have been built um, because of the monarchy on Christian worldview and values. And those things have proven to be very, very good for society. And so that's another thing that the British Empire have definitely gifted, which of course I know that those more on the left or those that don't have a Christian worldview will not agree um, will not agree with that particularly, although I have done a whole podcast on that before, that there is unarguable good that Christianity has brought to society. Okay, so there are the nine different things um, which I thought it would be really good to end this collection on that note, uh, on the nine really good things that the British Empire have brought, not just to our nation, but to other nations around the world. And it is unarguable that oh, as flawed as democracy might be, it is still the freedom that they have brought to us is still um, the the best system that we've got to date. So before we go tearing down the British Empire, let's just remember the building blocks that they gave us for the world and all of the luxuries that you and I live with today. Next time you go visit a sporting game, you know, next time you hop on public transport, think about some of those basic things that the British Empire gifted to our nation. All right. So guys, that brings us to an end of the crown. If you've got any suggestions about any topics that you would like me to cover, I mean, I never run out of ideas. They just seem to be endless. Um, I've always got something up my sleeve, but if you've got an idea, please come and visit me on girlnextdoor.podcast on Instagram. I check that every day, pretty much. Um, People come in and chat with me often there. So come and let me know if you'd like me to cover something in particular. Uh, Until then, guys, thank you so much for joining me and uh, go start your Christmas shopping. Can you believe how close it is getting to Christmas? All right, go do some shopping. Love you guys. I will see you on Friday for Parenthood episode. See you then. Bye.